All right, 2 Corinthians 3, 14, and by grace and faith we will teach the end of the chapter. So depends on how you listen. 2 Corinthians 3, 14, let's read. But their minds were blinded, for unto this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament, because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day when Moses has read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Let's pray over our spiritual meal. Father, we thank you so much for the Word of God that's already blessed. We're going to open our heart, receive it by faith, and be blessed and nourished by it. Again, Holy Spirit, we depend upon you as the spiritual teacher to anoint the eyes, ears, and heart of each person that's listening. Open them by the gift of your grace and cause them to see, hear, and understand what the Lord is saying. Father, I thank you for ministering this in such a way they walk away with exactly what they need. And Lord, I thank you that only you can do this miracle. I believe it's happening right now. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Verse 14, start unpacking this. But their minds were blinded, for until this day the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But their minds, who's their minds? Well, this is religious people of Paul's day. The religious Jew, or it could be also religious Gentile, but he's basically speaking of those that were of the Jewish uh, sect, those religious people that he came out of. Paul was a, a Pharisee, a religious Pharisee. He was one of them, and God brought them out. And how God brought him out is how uh, religious people can be brought out too. It says their minds were blinded. Say minds. The mind is the doorway to the heart. The mind is the place of thoughts, and the heart is the place of beliefs. And so your life is governed by heart beliefs. And so animals are governed almost entirely by instinct, by DNA. Well, very little of your life is governed by instinct because you're not an animal. Tell someone you're not an animal. I'm not an animal. You're not an animal. You are made in the image of God, and so you're governed by heart beliefs. And so it's very important what you allow in your mind because it's the doorway to the heart. And what you meditate on and accept in your mind oftentimes will be sifted into the heart and becomes uh, beliefs. Now, that's why Satan's main goal is to blind people's minds from the truth. How does he do that? He does it by diverting their attention and focus from it. He's the master of distraction. He wants to get people focused away, whatever he does to focus away from the truth, because he knows if you focus on the truth, if that's what captivates your attention, it will drop into your heart, it will come back out of your mouth, it will bring power in one's life. So Satan's main goal is to blind people's minds by diverting their attention and focus from it. Look at 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Paul says, whose minds, this is unbelievers, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine in on them. And so again, he does this by distraction. And so I believe if you put somebody, an unbeliever, uh, into a room with no TV, no internet access, no phone, and they were just left there for days on end with food, of course, they'd starve, but if they had food, 
And that's all they had to do. I guarantee you, before long, their conscience would rise up and start speaking to them. And so the world, the devil has people so distracted to distract them from that cry of every heart that says, I need God. And I think a lot of times Christians can get into the same habit into the distraction from the truth. We think, well, why is the power of God? Why not? You know, I, I'm pregnant with the power of God. I have the Holy Spirit on the inside. I have the glory of God on the inside. But why is it not impacting me to the level it should? Because of focus. We're so distracted. Now, I'm going to say something now, and I have this by divine revelation, that I know what your number one temptation is. He, God, you told him? Yes. I know what your number one temptation is. And it's the same as the person next to you. Distraction. Distraction from the truth of the word of God. Because the devil doesn't care how you're distracted as long as you are. My distraction looks different than your distraction. Distraction. And so that's what the enemy wants to do. Why? So that we're not focusing on the truth and it impacts us at a heart level. And so look at this word blinded. Well, this is not the word to where you're in darkness. Actually, the Greek word, a proper translation is hardened, a hardened heart. And so their minds or, and also their heart is blinded or hardened. And so how do you get a hardened heart? Well, someone wrote a book called Hardness of Heart. Andrew wrote a book called, Andrew Womack wrote a book called Hardness of Heart. And God showed him a revelation that whatever you put your focus on, you'll become uh, soft to. You'll become influenced by. It will impact you. But whatever you neglect, whatever you don't put your focus on, by default, you become hardened to it. And so that's what the enemy wants. He wants our minds and hearts not focused on the truth. They actually become hardened to the truth. And so we want to become softened to the Lord. Ask, ask someone next to you, how soft are you? <laughs> For unto this day, the same veil remains up unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament. It said the same veil. What veil is he talking about? The same veil. Well, last week, if you want to get last week's message on riverrockchurch.net, we have that up there. It talked about Moses had a veil he put over his face. And his face was shining when he was talking to Jesus up on the mount. But when he came off, it would start to fade. And so he would put a veil over it and cover it so people couldn't see it. And so this veil wasn't like a wedding veil to where you could see the face and you could see the other people. This is a solid veil, so they couldn't see your face at all. This is the same veil. This is a, a solid veil, and it lays over the minds of legalistic religious people now let me ask you a question if you have a solid veil you can't see through hanging down over your face where is your vision only can be where's your vision the only option for you to view yourself you can't see anywhere you have to look down and you see yourself and this is the way a legalistic person is they have a veil over their self and all they see when they read the word of god is they see themselves and they're self-focused they're called navel gazers Tell someone, don't be a navel gazer. It's dark, very dark in there. For until this day, 
The same veil remains unlifted, say unlifted, in the reading of the Old Testament. And the reading of the Old Testament is basically the law. And so let me tell you something, that's, that no one can remove that veil themselves. Someone else will need to lift the veil, and that's the Lord. The Lord is the only one that can lift that veil that's over religious people's eyes. You know, in a wedding, and you have the bride that has a veil. You know the bride doesn't lift her own veil? Who lifts the veil? The groom. See, Jesus wants to lift that veil of self-focus, self-viewing of ourselves, and to see him. And it says the reading of the Old Testament, that's the law, because the veil is taken away in Christ. And so this, again, has to be done for us by the Lord's Spirit. We can't do it ourselves. Look at verse 15. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Do you know when Paul was writing this, the temple was still going? And uh, there in the synagogue in Jerusalem, they would read Moses every Saturday. And then there were synagogues around the world. They had, they had franchises around the world. And every Saturday, Moses was read in the synagogue. And so, but you know what? Unfortunately, in a lot of our churches, every Sunday, Moses is read. But you know what we need in our churches? We need Christ read to us every time we meet. Now, does that mean I don't, I, that's just New Testament? No, no. You can read out of the Old Testament. You can read from the law, but you read Christ out of it. Because every sacrifice, every bullock, every lamb represented Jesus. And you can see Jesus in the Word instead of yourself. Tell someone, don't look at yourself. And so when Moses is read, a veil lays on their heart. Again, the heart is the place of beliefs. Legalistic beliefs can only be removed by the Spirit of God. When someone beholds Jesus. Again, many churches only preach what you must do to be right with God. But that makes us, us focus instead of Jesus focused. We need to look at Jesus and his finished work. Who he is and what he's done for us. Look at verse 16. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And so if you have a veil, you're looking down upon yourself, you're a navel gazer, all you're doing is looking at yourself, but when one turns to the Lord and looks up and sees the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, the veil is moved. It's rent. You know, in the Old Testament, there was a veil between the Holy of Holies and the holy place. And when Jesus raised from the dead... Guess what happened to that veil? It was rent, torn in two from the top to the bottom. God does it from his side. But what's the key? Because if you're just looking at yourself and you read the Old Testament and you make it... See, people the legalistic, they read the Old Testament or they read the New Testament and then they make it about them. That they have to fill and be righteous. They got to be holy. They got to be their Savior. They got to do this themselves. But that veil, once they turn and look at Jesus, away from the self to look at Jesus... That veil's removed by the Lord. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. You know that happened to Saul of Tarsus? That he was probably the most legalistic, self-righteous person that ever existed. And he was on his way, even in zeal, to kill Christians in the name of God. 
And he's on his way, and the, the glory of the Lord appeared and hit him so hard, knocked him off his horse, and he hit the ground so hard, the S on Saul got knocked off and a P got put on. I mean, that's pretty hard when your name changes. And so guess what? For the first time, he got a vision of the Lord. And he said, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. In a revelation of Jesus. And he got born again that day, gloriously born again by getting his eyes off of him and seeing Jesus. His natural eyes actually became blind and his spiritual eyes opened for the first time when he saw Jesus. And so this happened so powerfully in this man's life and grace changed his life. But then he went to church. Because this happened to me, I was gloriously saved as a young boy. And when I got saved, the grass was greener and the sky was bluer and the birds chirping. And, and I would speak to the Lord, he'd speak to me. It was such a wonderful experience. And then I went to church. They told me everything I need to do to keep in fellowship with God, to keep his blessing in my life. And first thing they told me is I need a quiet time. I said, that sounds nice. He goes, no, no, no. Now, this, this is something serious here. you got to have a quiet time. It's a one hour with the Lord. Can you not tarry one hour? No, I can't. <laughs> is it no, you got to spend an hour with the Lord, and we're going to help you with this hour. You have, a, you have an obstacle course you can run through called the tabernacle. Because Old Testament stuff. And so you start out with the, the brazen altar, the horns of the altar, and you tie yourself on there. You become a living sacrifice. I didn't know what that was. It scared me. But I was willing. But then finally I untied, got untied from that, and then I walked slowly to the brazen labor of water where you look into it and you see your reflection and see all your ugliness all the things you've done wrong and you confess every single one of them to clean yourself up. So I looked into that water and I started confessing things I know I did. And I confessed some things I may have done. And there's a few I know I didn't do, but just to cover myself. And I slowly made my way into the Holy of Holies and went up to the table of showbread. That's the word where you read the word, where you have to read five chapters in the Bible. But I fell asleep the day before. Now I got ten. So I read and read and read and read and read and read and read. Get a lot out of it. Read, 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 read. After that, I limped over to the candelabra as a young Baptocostal and prayed in tongues. And then I crawled over to the table of incense where you have to praise and worship to get into his presence. And by the time most mornings, I was too tired. <laughs> I'll see you in the morning. We'll try again. You know, religion gets things backwards. You know, when you got saved, you got put deposited. You got put into the Holy of Holies. And you just start out that way. Just basking his acceptance and love. You don't have to earn and strive to get there. You're in his presence and just enjoy his presence. Face-to-face -face communion. Then you go out and pray. 
pray and read the word and become a living sacrifice from the inside out. So Paul got saved by grace and then he got his eyes on himself and then he tried to, he said, well, thank you, Lord Jesus. You saved me. You got me into the kingdom. I got it from here. Tell someone, you don't got it from here. Now tell someone else, you, you really don't got it from here. He got his eyes on, off of Jesus and onto himself. And what he had to do to become holy and righteous and how he could overcome his sin and overcome the flesh and what I must do. And he tried over and over and over going around Mount Sinai over and over and over again getting the same result. And I want to read his personal testimony he left of his carnality because carnal is something a only a believer can be. 1 Corinthians 3.1, Paul says, I write unto you as carnal, not as spiritual, as babes in Christ. A Christian can be carnal, that's dominated by your five senses, or spiritual, dominated by the Spirit of God. And see, an unbeliever is never called carnal, never called spiritual. An unbeliever is called the natural man, 1 Corinthians 2.14. A natural man, he doesn't have the Holy Spirit, he hasn't been hooked up to the Spirit, he just lives naturally with what his natural man. And so, but a carnal is a believer. Carnal, a carnal means fleshly. Matter of fact, chili con carne, carne Spanish, meat. When you are carnal, you're a meathead. Tell someone, don't be a meathead. Paul left a testimony of him and him trying to overcome the flesh and sin by willpower. Now I'm going to read the first verse, Romans 7, 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Is he a believer here? How do we know? Carnal. Only a believer is called carnal. Now he leaves many clues to what his problem is. And then we find out what the answer is to freedom. So, yeah, I need your help. You, you know I need help. So, you guys are going to help me, and your job's going to be a little bit easier than these guys. Not because they're more spiritual. It's just how it is. Now, you guys over here, this whole section over here, if, when, I, when I say the word I, I need you to count. So, when I say I the first time, you'll say... And what, let's get harder. When I say I the second time, you... Oh, much quicker than the first service. <laughs> now, you're a little bit harder. You're going to be counting me and my's. So when I say me, you'll say, well, what if I say my? No. You add. See, it's a little harder. So me is what? My is? All right. Here we go. Good thing we practiced. Okay, here we go. You ready? You know your part? You know your part. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. But what I will to do, that I do not practice. And what I hate, that I do. And if then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it's good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I... 
know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing dwells good, for the will is present with me. But how to perform what is good I do not find, for the good that I will to do I do not do, and the evil I will not to do that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells in me, I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good, and for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another uh, law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members, a wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death. <sighs> May the Lord bless the reading of his word. How many eyes? 24. How many me's and my's? 11. 35 references to himself in 11 verses. Me, myself, and I. The unholy trinity. He left many clues to what his problem was. He had eye disease. Not physical eye disease, the letter I. He, he, he was eyes on himself. He was focusing on him. He was a navel gazer. Oh, what I'm trying to do, and I'm trying to stop it. And every question is, what must I do to overcome myself? What new principle can I learn that I can get set free from? And finally, he, he went around the mountain so many times. He proved to himself he couldn't do it. And finally, the worst day is the best day. He put up a white flag, gave up on himself, and he asked an anointed question. Who? Who will deliver me from the body of this death? Because he realized the answer was outside of himself. The Savior must be from the outside of himself. And he looked up for the first time and found his answer, Jesus. Verse 25. Romans 7, 25. He looked up and finally he re-caught a glimpse of his Savior and says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ my Lord. And I can't tell you, but when he got his eyes on Jesus, and he had a face-in-face -face encounter. The presence of God impacted him and set him free. You say, just beholding Jesus and receiving from his presence has the power to transform me. No, Pastor, that, it, it's, that's too simple. It's got to be more complicated. Paul prayed for the Corinthians that their minds would not be corrupted from the simplicity of the gospel. It must be harder. I need steps. <laughs> Step number one, look at Jesus. Step number two, keep looking at Jesus. Step number three, keep on looking at Jesus. The veil is taken away. Again, this must be done for us. We can't remove it because if you're trying to remove it, you are a navel-gazer. You're focusing on you again. Some people are addicted to themselves. The Lord can break your addiction. Well, how can I get free from me? I'm going to try to get free from me. Me, 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 me. You know, if you go to a football game, and they huddle up and you think they're talking about you, you might be self-focused. 
Verse 17, we're really moving. We'll slow down, though. Verse 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit. Do you know the Holy Spirit is God? Many times in the, in the Bible, God the Father is mentioned as Lord, called Lord. Many verses, Jesus in the New Testament is called Lord, Curios, Lord. But the Holy Spirit here is called Curios, Lord. He is, he is God too. It says, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Do you know that the Holy Spirit indwells you? What part of you as a Christian does the Holy Spirit 24-7 inhabit? Your spirit. And in the spirit, your spirit is free. I mean, if you saw your spirit, you would say, oh, oh, oh. Well, what about my soul? Because I don't feel that. Because you can't feel what's true in your spirit. But how do I get that in my soul? Look at Jesus. Behold Jesus. Face-to-face encounter with his presence. And I can't explain it. But when you behold Jesus and keep beholding him, power flows through the Holy Spirit, up through your spirit, into your soul. And it changes you. It's got to be more complicated than that. Give me steps. Step number one, look at Jesus. Step number two, keep looking at Jesus. Step number three, keep on looking at Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit was sent to testify of Jesus. He doesn't testify of you. He came to manifest Jesus. He doesn't manifest you. He came to move in the name of Jesus. He doesn't move upon you. John 15, 26. Jesus in red said that when the helper, tell someone you need help. Tell someone else you really need help. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of who? Me. John 16, 14, Jesus in the red. He, the Spirit, will glorify me. Glorify who? The Spirit doesn't glorify you. He magnifies Jesus. And he will receive of mine and show it to you. Why will he not take what is of Jesus and give it to you? Because when you got saved, it's already yours. He just shows it to you. Verse 15. All things that the Father are mine, therefore I said that he will take of mine and show it unto you. Again, the Spirit moves based on Jesus. If you focus on yourself and you become a navel-gazer, you curtail the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life. Verse 18. But we all, Say all. All. This verse is the clearest verse in the New Testament on how a Christian is to be transformed. And it's the way. Say the way. The way way all Christians are to be transformed. Why do I say that? Because so many Christians have multiple ways. 
that they've adopted in their life to try to see change in their life. And you have your way, and I have my way. We'll never meet ways. No, all of us, this is God's plan. But we all, with unveiled face. How do you get unveiled? Jesus lifts it. See, this transformative process in this verse does not work when you're veiled. It only works when you're unveiled. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding. Say beholding. Beholding. Greek present tense verb. Behold, 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 continue, continue, behold. Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. What's the mirror? The Word. The Word shows you what's true in the spirit realm, and it shows you who Jesus is. And you can't know anything about God without the Word. And so when you behold through the Word and you see Jesus just as He is, and you behold that, but what are you to behold? The glory of yourself. Tell someone, don't look at your gory. We're to see what? The glory of the Lord. What's God's glory? Moses had that question. He says, Lord, show me your glory. God says, okay, we're going to have a parade. He stuffed him in a cleft of the rock and said, I'm going to walk by, but you can't really see all of it, so I'm going to have to put my hand over it, but you can see my backsides. And he proclaimed his glory, and he says, Lord God, Almighty, the Lord, gracious, merciful, loving, forgiving, merciful. And he proclaimed his glory. What's his glory? His mercy, his grace, his love, his forgiveness, his goodness. And when you behold it, guys, I don't understand. Just beholding that accesses his presence. And his presence flows up into your soul and into your body and dominates your natural and transforms you into the same image. See, there's power in beholding, especially when you're beholding his presence. Look at 1 John 3, look at verse 2. Beloved, now, say now, Now. we are the children of God. Why would he have to tell us that? Because sometimes we don't look like it. Well, I'm saying I don't. One key to public speaking is don't alienate your audience. So I don't always look like a child on the outside. But I got to know now I am a child of God and has yet not been revealed what we shall be. Tell someone this is not good as it gets. And it, shall, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he's revealed, we shall be like him. Why? Keep reading. We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. One day this natural veil will move when we pass on into the spirit realm, and we'll see Jesus just as he is in technicolor. And just beholding him in his presence, his 
presence changes us into the very same image. If that's going to happen in fulfill, fulfillment there, we can do that process, start that process now. But as to the degree you see him now through that mirror, it's the degree that his spirit will start transforming you into the same image from glory to glory by the spirit of God. Power of beholding. It's even in the Old Testament. Do you remember Jacob was a trickster? He tricked his, took his brother with a, with a bowl of, of stew. I don't think I would have been sold by that one. Pizza, maybe. But not stew. He must have really been hungry. Tricked him out of his birthright. Then tricked him out of his blessing. And ran for his life because he was going to get killed. And he ran into, the, he ran into to, uh, someone else that was a bigger trickster than him. Laban. And Laban had a daughter. She was fine. Rachel. And he loved Rachel. And he says, I'll work seven years if you give me that girl. And he says, okay. So he worked seven years. It was like a day. Wedding night? Yeah! Laban stuck in Leah instead of Rachel. When Jacob woke up and the morning light came through the tent window, ah! <laughs> Did they not talk at night? <laughs> Keep your eyes in the spirit. Keep it in the spirit. But Laban would trick Jacob. He would keep changing his wages ten times. He'd say, okay, now this is your wage, and this is how we'll know you can tell what's yours and mine. And, and when it wouldn't go Laban's way, and it started going Jacob's way, he would change the rules. Have you ever played somebody that was so competitive in a game? I was like, okay, 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 okay. Let's change. Now we're going to do this. And then you start playing, they're losing that way. Okay, 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 okay. Now we'll do it this way. That's, that's Laban. And finally, the last little arrangement they had was, okay, 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 okay. You keep all the, the streaked, spotted, and speckled ones. And I'll keep the solid color ones. And to stack the deck, he took all of the streaked, spotted, and speckled for himself and gave all the solid ones to Jacob and said, I got you. Then God showed him what to do in the middle of the night. And this is where we pick up Genesis 30. Look at verse 37. Now Jacob took for himself rods of green poplar and of the almond and chestnut trees and peeled white strips in them. He just took a knife and made strips into where you saw speckled, streaked, and spotted. And exposed the white which was in the rods. And the rods which he had peeled, he set before the flocks and the gutters in the watering troughs. So he put the Branches in the watering troughs filled it with water, and the lambs came and looked. When they drank the water, they looked through it and saw these branches. And the watering troughs where the flocks came to drink, so that they would conceive when they came to drink. So the flocks conceived before the rods, and the flocks brought forth streaked, speckled, and spotted. The sheep came up and looked through the water, and what they beheld, they gave birth to. 
that only works for sheep. <laughs> Go bad. You just proved you're sheep. You couldn't do that if you were not a sheep. Because if you were a pig, you would have went. <laughs> Moses was never impacted by trying to keep the law. The only time he was impacted is his times with Jesus on Mount Sinai. When he spent face-to-face time with him, his face would shine. It's the same thing with us. Your face is not going to change. Your life's not going to change with two cold pieces of stone. It's going to be in the presence of Jesus. Well, that's Moses. That works for Moses. Look at Psalms 34, verse 5. Hopefully they'll pop that up there. Psalms 34, look at verse 5. This verse says, Moses looked to him and was radiant. Oh, I'm sorry, clueless translation. They, plural, plurality, more than Moses, they looked to him and were radiant. Tell someone this will work for you. I don't think they were convinced about that. Tell, tell someone this will work for you. All you need to do is behold and believe. 1 John 4, 17. Why do we need to not beholding? Just beholding is not good enough. You got to behold and then believe what you behold. Well, what am I supposed to believe? 1 John 4, 17. As he is, so am I when I get to heaven. No, as he is, so I am right now in this present world. Behold him just as he is and then believe as he is, so am I. Just as. Not this is him just as he is and I'm a little less version. Just as he is, so, just so I am. Is he completely righteous? Behold, then believe. So am I. Is he holy? What, what percentage holy? Behold him as he is. Believe. I'm holy. Is he prosperous? So am I. Believe. Okay, so this is it. Your only job is behold and believe. So say behold. behold. Say believe. believe. Behold. behold. Believe. believe. Behold. behold. Believe. Behold and believe. I'm sorry, Pastor, it's just too easy. I can't, I'm not a simpleton. What's your problem? I'm more complicated. I need steps. I just woke somebody up. Thank you, you're welcome. All right, you want steps? Step number one, look at Jesus. Step number two, keep looking at Jesus. Step number three, Keep on looking at Jesus. You need 12. Are
are being transformed. Look at that word transform. It's the Greek word where we get metamorphosis from. It's a butterfly that starts out looking like a worm. But inside that little worm is a monarch. And we're like that butterfly. And it looks like our life, we're just like a worm. But no, no, no. Locked up on the inside of you is a monarch. One destined to rule. And so you've got to go through this process of metamorphosis. But how's that happen? Behold. And behold, and behold, and behold. And his presence starts changing. And the monarch starts emerging. Tell me you're about to fly, monarch. Just as by willpower. Oh, I'm sorry. Just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Not by might. Not by power. But by my spirit, says the Lord. So, Pastor, that that seems great and all, but it's real. I need some practical steps. Okay, let's put the cookies on the bottom shelf. Let's put some shoe leather to the theology. Practical ways to keep your mind and eyes on Jesus. Number one, meditate the word. Tell someone you're a meditator not a commentator. You know, you're meditating on something all the time. Well, sometimes us guys, we get into an empty box. But most of the time, we're meditating on something. But you, on purpose, you meditate the Word. You focus on God's Word, the mirror. And what, it's very important what you meditate on because if you have a veil on, you'll see yourself. And you'll make it about you. Unveiled. Look at Jesus. Where I don't care if you're reading now the Old Testament, New Testament. Look at Jesus. Second way, prayer. Has it come to that? Well, I got to pray. No. It's communing, talking, having a relationship one-on-one. You have the right to go right into the presence of God in the throne room and have a one-on-one conversation as a priest. And talk to the creator of this universe. And he talks back to you. And spend time in his presence. And in time with his presence changes you. This third one is so powerful. Praise and worship. And the fourth way is thanksgiving. When you give someone thanks, you have to focus on what they've done, who they are, and what they've done. These ways keep your eyes on Jesus. But your number one temptation, the enemy wants to come in and distract. Take your attention away. Focus on the news. Focus on your situation. Focus on what Sister Bucketmouth said. What Brother Flip-a-Lip said. You need the Holy Spirit to do this. To remind you, oh, you're distracted. Let me point you to Jesus. The Holy Spirit loves me through Jesus. If you ask, he's a helper. You need help in this. And say, Holy Spirit, each morning, Holy Spirit, help me. Help me keep my eyes on you. Show me Jesus. Keep me. And when I get off, alert me to get it back on. It's a process. It's a discipline. But it's a spiritual discipline 
the Spirit will do. Bow your heads. Father, I thank you so much for your word, and you've made it so simple. Salvation is so simple, and as we have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so continue to walk in him, Colossians 2.6. But there's such a temptation, Lord. You know this world is a world of distraction. The enemy is a distractor. And we need your help, Holy Spirit, to keep our eyes and show us Jesus and, and, and remind us when we're distracted and get us back. We need your help. But you must make the decision to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. You say, today, I realize that my job is to behold and to believe. But I need help today with these distractions in my life, and I need the power of the Holy Spirit, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the ability and the reminding of the Holy Spirit. But, I, but it's my decision to start this process. And you'd say, that's me. I'm ready to start that process, and I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, to help me even this week to do this. And if that's you, I want you to raise your hand high. Matter of fact, I want you to stand to your feet. Father, I thank you that some have already started this process, but other ones are going to start. Holy Spirit, we need you. You're our helper. You've come to testify of Jesus, to reveal Jesus, and to remind us. Lord, help us do this. And I thank you that to the degree we see him and behold him and believe, transformed and we thank you for this in jesus mighty name amen proverbs 3 5 to 6 trust the lord with all your heart and lean not on your on your own understandings in all your ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your path when you're that butterfly and you're in your cocoon and it's dank it's dark you can't see where you're going you're supposed to praise him worship him thank him love him for who he is and what he's done for you when you come out you are transformed into that monarch or that king or that mighty man of valor, because he loves you, and he does, does not waste what he's done. He knows who you were before you were born, and he knows where you're going. He sees you as Jesus sees you. All right, hallelujah. I just felt the Lord impress on my heart today. Um, I'm just going to read Psalms 34, and starting in verse 17, it says, The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears, and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart, and save such as have a contrite spirit or remorseful spirit. And in verse 22, it says, The Lord redeems the soul. Rick was talking a lot about the soul, and you're getting your soul in line today, right? So the Lord redeems your, the soul of his servants, and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. And I just really feel like the Lord wanted us to know today and remind us and encourage us to go to him with the ugly stuff and that's giving him the highest praise because when you give him the stuff that you're most trying to cover up but when you go before him and say lord yep this is really ugly but here it is he's like yes that's giving me the highest praise and he's he just wants you to know that he's so excited when you come to him with the most disgusting parts of your life whether sexual whether mental right? Those are probably the darkest places that, you know, we don't really talk about in the church a whole lot. But guess what? Jesus says, I am so proud of you. Come to me with that ugly stuff. That's giving me the highest praise. And so whatever the Lord is stirring up in you with that, whatever you're like, oh, no, that makes me uncomfortable. Good. Because then the Holy Spirit will come in and comfort you. And then you can truly be totally whole and healed from whatever that ugliness was, is. And so, amen.
Be glad, then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the former rain faithfully, and he will cause the rain to come down for you. The former rain and the latter rain in the first month, the threshing floor shall be full of wheat, and the vats shall overflow with new wine and oil. So I will restore to you the Restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten, the crawling locusts, the consuming locusts, the chewing locusts, my great army which I sent among you. This is the year of the transference of wealth. Whatever has been stolen from you by the enemy, you will receive back, and more and more. And just praise his holy name today and glorify him because we are victorious in Jesus. And let us pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you that whatever the enemy has planned, it is defeated. Amen. We are victorious, Lord. We have, been, we have been victorious since the cross. And we just thank you, Lord, for all that you do in our lives. And we glorify you. We lift you up. And we just give you all the honor and praise today in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. amen.